something we've never done in church together. It's Flag Day. And I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for the flag and for America. And I am very patriotic. And I thought it would be good if we could say the Pledge of Allegiance today. I hope that won't offend any of you. If it does offend you, you're in the right place because I'm going to teach you today. (laughs) So if we could look to the flag and let's say it together, can we? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. Now, before we read this verse, I want to just inform you that I am not committed to any uh, political party. My allegiance is not to a political party or to a politician, or even to America first. I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of the United States. The United States is my secondary citizenship, and therefore I have my allegiance completely and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ and the values and the truth that stream forth from Him. And so that is where I'm coming from today as I share on this message. Is America a Christian nation? Is America a Christian nation? I'm going to take two weeks to deal with this because it is Flag Day and we're about to come up on Independence Day. So I want to be very clear today and next week on what I feel is taking place in our country. I'm going to be very strong and very blunt next week. It will be uh, in a a way for adults only because I've got to talk about what's happening in our land. But now... Let's look at this verse, Psalms 33, verse 12. Look what it says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you will speak to us and give us the truth. Tell us the truth, Lord. Open our eyes to the truth about the roots, the heritage, the foundation of this nation. And help us, Lord, to be a people who are illuminated, not in the dark, not dull, not confused, but clearer on where we stand and what we believe. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll turn to your neighbor and tell him, brace yourself, you're going to need it. A controversy has arisen lately about whether or not America is still a Christian nation. All you got to do is turn on the news and you'll hear commentators wringing their hands about the fact that the Christian faith is losing ground in America. A controversy that has been greatly accelerated and given great momentum when recently President Barack Obama said in a press conference in Turkey, quote, we Americans do not consider ourselves a Christian nation, at least not just. Now, when I heard those words, I had to say to myself, you're not speaking for me. I don't believe that. Now, I'm going to tell you why he was not speaking for me. Uh, It is true that there are many religions in this country. That's a true statement. 
he didn't say we don't consider ourselves a Christian nation, period. He says, at least not just. Well, that's true. There are many religions. As a matter of fact, every imaginable religion resides in America. So we're not just a nation with the only religion being Christian. We're just not. But now I want you to hold that thought. Later, in an interview with a French television station, Mr. Obama went on to say this, quote, I think that the United States and the West generally have to educate ourselves more effectively on Islam. And one of the points I want to make is that if you actually took the number of Muslim Americans, we'd be one of the largest Muslim countries in the world. Now, since American Christianity, and I say this with all of my heart and very sincerely to you, since American Christianity and our very identity in the world are at stake now, these statements need to be answered. What is the truth? Are we one of the largest Muslim nations in the world, and are we no longer a Christian nation? Let me answer it numerically and approach this very logically and factually first. Most estimates place the number of Muslims in America at 1 to 1.5% of the total population. That would mean that there are about 2 to 3 million Muslims in America. Let me give you some studies. The American Religious Identification Survey of 2001, carried out by the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, polled more than 50,000 people and found the total Muslim population in the year 2000 to be 1,886,000. Meanwhile, the University of Chicago reviewed prior national surveys and found that the best estimate puts the Muslim population at about 1.8 million. A Pew Research Center's poll put the number of American Muslims at the highest at 2.3 million people. In other words, three unbiased, authoritative studies carried out by scholars, secular, unbiased scholars, found that American Muslims number at best a little over 2 million. We know that number one in the world of Muslim population is Indonesia with 200 million Muslims living there. And coming in second is India at 156 million Muslims. And then finally, coming up third is Pakistan at about 150 million Muslims. So, a Muslim population of a bit over 2 million places the United States dead even with Serbia, which is polled at 58th in Muslim population in the world. So factually... I am sorry the president was wrong. We are not one of the largest nations with a Muslim population in it. Now, if we're using numbers alone as the measure to decide whether the United States is or is not a Christian nation, using numbers only, where do we stand? According to the American Religious Identification Survey of 2008, 76% of the population of America identify themselves as Christian. When polled, 76% of the American population in some measure identified itself as having a Christian belief. So, 
if a Muslim population of 1.5% places America in the category of one of the largest Muslim countries in the world, then a Christian population of 76% places America as an overwhelmingly Christian nation. I say, well, Pastor Jeff, why, why would that matter? I, I'm not saying anything against any religion here except here's the deal. I'm very concerned that America's heritage, America's roots, America's spiritual heritage, America's foundation and traditions is being undermined by a movement, a secular movement in this country that wants to remove Christianity from the religious landscape. I will not allow our Christian heritage to be buried by historical revisionism. I will not let it happen. Not on my watch and not in my pulpit. But let's talk about our heritage just for a minute. Let me give you a little history lesson today. I think one of the most important things that can happen in the lives of Christians right now is we need to know the truth about our history and the history of our country. If anybody knows it, we ought to know it, and we ought to be able to answer people who teach differently with facts. So let me educate us today, all right? Don't take my word for it. The history of this country shouts that our nation was built on a Judeo-Christian ethic and nothing else. The evidence that our founding fathers built America on Judeo-Christian values and principles is written on nearly every building, every memorial, and monument in our nation's capital. It is overwhelming. Scriptural and religious references can be found etched or engraved on some of the most important buildings in Washington, D.C. I just wish they'd read them sometime. For example, did you know that the phrase holiness to the Lord is engraved into a tribute block on the Washington Monument. Holiness to the Lord. A sculpture of Moses with the Ten Commandments appears over the east portico of the Supreme Court. The phrase out of Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, is engraved on a wall in the Library of Congress. And a heartfelt prayer from John Adams, President, is carved into the stone fireplace in the White House State Dining Room. Right there, every time there's a fire burning, there is a prayer. And it says this, quote, I pray to heaven to bestow the best of blessings on this house and all that hereafter inhabit it. Now, that's just a few of the many, many examples that you'll find if you just take a journey to Washington, D.C., But let me just take you into a little bit more of the history of this nation. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we stand on the shoulders of people who gave their blood and their life and their liberty, risked everything, to come to this place as Christians and as believers in God to birth a brand new nation. We are the recipients of the blessing they brought, the original colonies and territories of the United States with the exception of Virginia, were settled by Europeans who were escaping persecution for Christian practices that were not tolerated in their own home country. So because they could not worship God in the Christian faith with liberty in Europe, they left and came to this land for Christian liberty so that they could worship the Lord Jesus Christ 
without fear of persecution. So persecuted Christians fleeing Europe were the founders of all but one of the original American colonies. Think about that. Early Supreme Court cases reflect this same undeniable fact. In one early case brought before the Supreme Court entitled Church of the Holy Trinity versus the United States. This was in 1892. Justice David Brewer declared in a unanimous decision these words, quote, These and many other matters which might be noticed add a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is a Christian nation. Supreme Court, 1892. Can you imagine that ruling coming down today? President John Adams said, quote, I believe that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, this nation was made for people who exercise a faith in God. And it is not that the Constitution was not framed for any other. And yet amazingly, with volumes and volumes of evidence, America's religious freedom, yours and mine, and our freedom of speech, yours and mine, are right now as I speak under sinister and diabolical attack. For instance, did you know that there is a legal battle taking place right now to remove the phrase, in God we trust, from U.S. currency? Underway in our courts this moment, Far-left judges are ordering the Ten Commandments out of courthouses. They already took care of the schools. Now they want them out of the courthouses. When all of our law sprang from the Ten Commandments. Graduating high school and college students are refused the constitutional right to pray in the name of Jesus Christ or even to acknowledge God during their ceremonies. Stunning. Unbelievable. The ACLU, or what I call the, the, the Against Christian Liberties Union, the ACLU, one of the most diabolical, destructive, damaging, loathsome organizations to ever spring up in this land, The ACLU brings persecution and threats on any public school that dares to step out and pray or invoke the name of God in any of their official functions based on the erroneous doctrine of separation of church and state. And I say erroneous because the doctrine of separation in church, of church and state is nowhere found anywhere in the Constitution. It's not there. But I'll tell you where you can find it. You can find it in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. The phrase separation of church and state was coined in the United States from a letter that Thomas Jefferson, the third president of our country, wrote to a group of Baptists. He wrote a letter assuring them that he would keep the government out of the church. So he used the phrase separation of church and state. 
he was assuring them that government would not meddle in their religious practices. He was not talking about taking the church out of the government. He was talking about the government leaving the church alone. But people like the ACLU have totally twisted this. They have made it sound like it was a constitutional issue, and it is not. They have said, quote, no, the founders wanted to keep religion out of the government and out of the public square. They wanted our nation to be a secular nation that simply allowed private religion to be practiced behind closed doors. But that's a lie. That is a bald-faced lie, and they have perpetrated that lie, those and others like them, on our nation. All the media preaches it. Schools preach it. Colleges preach it. And unfortunately, many believers have begun to accept it. And believer in Jesus Christ, Christian friend, I'm telling you, it's not valid. History doesn't bear this view at all. Let me tell you what history says. Our first president, George Washington, took the oath of office and put his hand on the Bible. What was his first official act as president? Did you know what George Washington did when he was sworn in? He kissed the Bible. Can you imagine the tumult, the hue and cry that would rise up if a president in our day were to take the Bible, he set his oath on, and kiss it in front of God and everybody? But George Washington did, but he didn't stop there. He then held a two-hour praise and worship session in Congress. Now, I'm going to say that again because some of you didn't catch that. George Washington led a two-hour praise and worship session in Congress. I'm going to tell you something. This secular movement that is sweeping across our nation and shutting down faith in every place it can, Shutting it down in the schools. See, what I'm telling you right now, your kids are not going to get in elementary school, junior high, or high school. They have been secularized. They have experienced historical revisionism on a level that is stunning. They're not going to be told the true spiritual heritage of our country. It's just not going to happen. And I'm telling you, we're about to reap the consequences of that. We are reaping the consequences right now. We have a whole generation of young people coming up that have been told good is bad and bad is good. Right is wrong and wrong is right. Up is down and down is up. We have had a whole generation of young people have had their minds robbed of the Word of God, robbed of absolute truth, robbed of the person of Jesus Christ in the public square and in the schools where they ought to at least have the option of learning about God creating the universe. I'm going to tell you before God today, I don't think we know what we're about to see in our culture as this generation that has been raised on solid secularism comes of age. The Bible says if you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. We're about to see that whirlwind in ways that are going to stun us, amaze us, grieve us, and vex us. How in the world can this be happening? 
Because I'm concerned that that 76% of Christians that say they identify with Christ aren't speaking up. Church, if there was ever a day you need to speak up, stand up, say what you believe, know what you believe, be strong about it, not be ashamed of Jesus Christ, come right out and say, that's not true, I don't believe that. Here is what is true. It's today. At the founding of our nation, how did they determine they were going to open sessions of Congress? Prayer. Who would lead in those prayers? Government-appointed chaplains. And how would they be paid? Tax dollars. Hey, if my tax dollars were going to chaplains, I'd give them more than they want. But instead, our tax dollars are going to abort children, are going to finance liberal programs that are destroying this country. I tell you, it takes an act of obedience to pay taxes anymore, though I do. But knowing what many of the tax dollars now go to, it is a shame and a crime that they go to what they do. So tax dollars, paying for the chaplains and paying for Bibles to be distributed. By the way, listen, does all that sound like they wanted to keep God out of government? They had no intention of keeping God out of government. They opened in prayer in the name of Jesus. Did you know that opening in prayer is a real double standard now? Why is it that little boys and girls and junior hires and high schoolers cannot pray in school, but congressmen can? If it's good enough for the congressmen, why not for the young people? Why can't they pray? Why can't they lift up a prayer? I mean, hey, let me tell you something. Prayer hadn't left schools because there's still final exams. But the ability to pray and the freedom to pray, if Congress can, why can't they? And you know what? Speaking of Congress, who do you think decided to put the phrase, in God we trust, on our coins? It was adopted by Congress in 1956. They did it. If you want to look at the place that Christianity, God, and the Bible played in the early days of America, you won't find it in school, but it's not hard to locate. Listen to this. In 1776, 11 of the 13 colonies required that one had to be a Christian to be eligible to run for political office. Why would that be? Because they knew if they were Christian, they had character and integrity and honesty. And they wanted people of character and integrity and honesty to be in political office. Can you imagine now if the litmus test, instead of whether or not you believe in aborting children, the litmus test was you had to be a Christian? In 1777, the Continental Congress voted to spend $300,000 to purchase Bibles for distribution to the nation. The Congress was the, the, the original Gideons. Can you imagine that? 94% of the writings of the founding fathers of the United States contain quotations from the Holy Bible. Think about that. 94% of the founding fathers included the Bible in their writings. The state constitutions of all 50 states mention God right now. The famous Liberty Bell has part of Leviticus 25, verse 10 inscribed on it. It reads, quote, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. The Bible on the Liberty Bell. Part of Proverbs 14.34 is inscribed above the Los Angeles City Hall in California. 
And if they ever needed the Bible, it's now. They're about to close the doors, turn the lights off in the government, and go bankrupt. Can I say, listen, I wish I could talk to California. You have drifted from God. Turn back to God. Because listen to what's above the Los Angeles City Hall door. Quote, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. They must see that every time they walk into City Hall. An image of Moses carrying the tablets of God's law faces the Speaker of the House of Representatives. The President takes his oath of office with his right hand on the Holy Bible and concludes his vow So help me, God. The Supreme Court itself begins each of its sessions with the phrase, and I wish they would really pray this, and they really need to start praying it now, God save the United States. Can I tell you today, church, there is only one answer for the United States that is slipping fast, quickly, into a quagmire of inescapable immorality and depravity. And that is, God save the United States. First Vice President and Second President John Adams wrote in 1798, quote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, said, No book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. The Christian writings and pronouncements of Abraham Lincoln, 16th president of the U.S., would fill an entire book. Woodrow Wilson, our 28th president and governor of New Jersey, said in 1911, America was born a Christian nation. Teddy Roosevelt, America's 26th president, wrote some stunning words of warning that I want us to hear today. Quote, Teddy Roosevelt said, in this actual world, a churchless community, a community where men have abandoned and scoffed at or ignored their religious needs, is a community on the rapid downgrade. In 1923, Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president, said this about our founding fathers. Quote, they were intent upon establishing a Christian commonwealth in accordance with the principle of self-government. They were an inspired body of men. Who can fail to see America in the hand of destiny? Who can doubt that it has been guided by a divine providence? Harry Truman, our 33rd president not known to be a committed believer in Jesus Christ, nevertheless understood the spiritual heritage of this nation. Quote, Harry Truman wrote, If men and nations would but live by the precepts of the ancient prophets and the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, problems which now seem so difficult would soon disappear. Do you hear this from those who led our nation? The historical truth is that the God of America is the one and only true and living God, and He is the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
I want to tell you, America is still the greatest nation on earth. Now, I want to just ask you a question. Has she grievously sinned in many points in her history? Yes. Slavery was the national sin that existed in the beginning of our country. It was horrible, awful, wrong in every sense of the word, but God delivered us from it. Now our national sin is abortion. And I believe there's going to be an awakening about abortion just like there was about slavery. There's going to be a waking up and people are everywhere, and they're starting to now. 51% of people, last time polled just a few weeks ago, said, I believe abortion is wrong. Way up from where it used to be. Now, I'm sharing on this today. I'm going to give you quick reasons why, three of them, to enlighten you on your roots. If anybody says to you, Oh, America is not a Christian nation. Where do you get that? You're just saying that because you're a Christian. You need to tell them that's not true, and I can prove it to you. The evidence is voluminous. The second reason I share this today is to exhort you to immediately speak up when you hear disinformation about our country. Church, we're in a fight for our life. I'm going to say that again at the risk of sounding melodramatic. We're in a fight for our life. Now, I'm going to have my faith to the day that I die. But this country is in a fight for its spiritual life. And that's why you can't sit there idly by any longer and let people say disinformation about us or disinformation about the faith, disinformation about our spiritual roots, and get away with it. You've got to get to where you speak up. This week, I had a eyewitness everywhere I go. And when we have contractors over our house, if we ever have anybody over there working, I've got them, and I'm going to witness to them, and I've got a captive audience because they can't leave till I pay them. And so I had, this week I had, um, I had some guys over, and I'm going to tell you who they were, the Geek Squad. Now, you know what the Geek Squad is. They come from Best Buy, and they come to help you with technical things that people like me, I don't fully understand. So I had to get the Geek Squad over to my house. So it's two guys. They were young. And, of course, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what am I going to say? How am I going to get the gospel in? Because I am going to get to them before they leave. And so uh, one of them mentioned to me, I had a brother who was killed in Iraq. He was in a Humvee, and it was blown up. And my Christian brother, my God-fearing brother, was blown up in this Humvee. And he's gone. And this is what he said. How could a God of love let that happen? Next thing I know... I'm sitting down in my chair. I've got my Bible open, and I'm having a little Bible study with two guys. This was on Wednesday, before Wednesday night. A little Bible study with two guys, and I'm sharing on how bad things can happen to good people and the providence of God, how he can always be trusted, and all of his decisions are right. And I said, I'm not saying God killed your brother, but thank God your brother was ready to meet God. And I'm finding that every time I share with people, and I've been doing it a lot lately, in IHOP, at home, everywhere, just sharing the gospel, I'm finding that the devil is using certain arguments to slam God, to come against God, to undermine God, and undermine our faith. And I'm not going to just sit there anymore and say, well, okay, I understand. Everybody's got a right to feel the way they do. No, I'm answering it. 
And you are a witness. Listen to Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Let that not be said of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in our day. You're the salt. You're the light. You've got the answer. Stand up, speak up, and don't let this disinformation spread. That's right. Now I'm going to close with this. One of them said to me, he said, you know, he said, I should be in church. One of the geek squad, nice guy. He said, I should be in church. But, you know, he said, I just don't live right. I know I'm not where I need to be to be in church. I said, how do you need to be to be in church? He said, well, you know, living right. I said, well, what's right? Well, you know, he said, uh, you know, just kind of doing what you know is right. And I said, listen, come on back to church. We're all hypocrites. In this respect, nobody lives perfect. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. You don't have to be perfect to come to church. It's another lie of the devil to keep you out of the house of God. If you're struggling, that's when you need to be in church. If sin is winning the battle, that's when you need to be in church. He said, well, I never thought about it that way. And I said, let me give you my card. You come on. Church, I'm telling you, if we don't speak up, we're going to lose the country. If we don't start making our presence felt in social settings, at work, in our neighborhood, wherever it crops up and arises, if you don't begin to take a stand, And not be ashamed of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you be ashamed of the one that died for you and rose from the dead on your behalf. He walked up Calvary's hill naked and bleeding, carrying a cross for you. You can take a stand for him. Everything else is coming out of the closet. Why don't you? I'm amazed at what is boldly stepping forward and just brazenly telling you what they're doing. Perversion is sweeping the land. Can't you stand up? Can't you be counted? You better. You better. And that's my message to you today. I want you to stand with me, would you?